0: Thanks for listening to the Secular Hubcast, a podcast made possible through a grant from the American Humanist Association. This show is a project of the Secular Hub, a Denver nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting community, altruism, reason, and education across the diverse secular community of the Front Range region. For more information and to become a member, visit secularhub.org.
1: Welcome to the Secular Hubcast. My name is Jesse Gilbertson. I'm here today with Chauncey, who's helping me co-host today. Say hello, Chauncey. Hey, Jesse. Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, but we're very excited to bring you two guests, two new voices to the podcast. I'm here with Hailey. Hello. hello. And Stephanie. Hello. Welcome to the Secular Hubcast, you two. Thank, Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, so we are currently recording at the Hub it is about 6 in the evening, and we just finished sort of back-to-back events that you, two put on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was wondering if you could tell me just a little bit about what those events were.
2: Um, so we started out doing what we call our end-of-life uh, presentation, and that's kind of a—we split it up. I handle the emotional aspects of end-of-life and dying, and Stephanie kind of handles the nuts-and-bolts and logistics um, of dying, and um, then we followed it up with our uh, death cafe, which is something that we do every other month. Okay. Um, the uh, the presentation we only do once a year.
1: Oh really? No, yeah. oh, man, I'm really glad I came to this one.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've been asked to do it uh, for other places. We were at the Jefferson Humanists two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they asked us to maybe come back and do our presentation there. But we also did a death cafe with them.
1: Okay. Great. Well thank you very much. Now before we get into discussing what Death Cafe is and the presentation, I was hoping you could just tell a little bit about yourselves. So how long um Stephanie, how long have you been a member of the Hub? Been a member of the Hub for
0: probably four years now, maybe five. Okay. I got involved just because I after my dad had died, I no longer had to be a religious person. I had held off coming out you know, coming out into being an atheist or an agnostic. Until my parents died, it was kind of chicken of me, but it would have hurt them more, so I kept it to myself. But then once they were gone, I didn't have to hide it anymore. Fair enough. And so I found the hub through the Humanist Society, and that's all she wrote.
1: Well, I'm very glad you're here. Thank you. And I am a very firm believer that people should come out as atheists or come out in any way in the way that's right for the individual. Mm-hmm. So how about you, Haile?
2: Um I started out uh when I got divorced um I wanted to uh start a singles group or join a singles group. And so my um I had figured out that one of the things that went wrong in my relationship was that he was a believer and I wasn't okay. and so we didn't operate from the same uh mode of reality. <laughs> so uh, we're not on the same plane of existence even he exists in a world where the supernatural exists and I
1: don't. You're so part of the reality-based community. Yes.
2: So um I <laughs> yeah. I joined secular singles and And then after my very first one, uh, the uh, facilitator stepped down. And so I, I and it says somebody's going to have to take over and so I'm one of those people that always takes over. <laughs> so um I and then people kept saying, "Oh, well, do you guys meet at the Hub and do you know about the Hub and you should advertise on the Hub's website." And I'd never heard of the Hub. So that's how, kind of how I got involved kind of through the back door with the singles group and then it's morphed over the years that we changed it into a secular adventure crew because a lot of people who weren't single wanted to go on all the fun stuff that we were doing. So and then um, when I'll I started grads-
0: here, I was one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so,
2: and then uh, when I started grad school, I kind of had to back off on it um, and uh, step down from a lot of the stuff I used to do for the hub, just because I didn't have the time for it anymore. But I still come as much as I can. Okay,
1: great. Now, you can you tell me a little bit about what Death Cafe is? Because that's you hold Death Cafe monthly. Is that right?
0: We're doing it every other month right now. Okay. And Death Cafe is an organization that started in the UK, I think 2010 or 2011, and it's I would describe it as a safe place to talk about death, because sometimes you just need to talk about the uncomfortable subject. And with a lot of people, it is death. They don't want to acknowledge immortality. They don't want to acknowledge that we're going to die. We are so far removed from it because it's a scary subject. But a lot of people do want to talk about it. And so we're giving, you know, Death Cafe and Hailey and I, being the death duo, are giving people a way to ask the questions, to talk about the subjects that they want to in a place where they won't be judged.
2: And we especially thought it was important to bring it to the secular community because, um, what it means to be, uh, live a life, a limited life is different, you know, for people who don't have religion than it is for people who believe in an afterlife. So we thought that having that conversation with secular people and in a secular context and was important and kind of an underserved thing because a lot of people that are in the hub came out of religion. Mm -hmm. So when they lost their religion, they also lost immortality and that's a huge loss um so we we just thought that this would be kind of a cool way to talk about that particular aspect of losing a religion
0: yeah. i think we have a different way of thinking about it because we don't have an afterlife
2: mm-hmm. and
0: so we wanted to be able to discuss the subject as this is the one life that we have to live how do we make the most of it
1: okay mm-hmm. yeah absolutely uh and the question of facing one's mortality, it's just as relevant, obviously, uh, for atheists as it is for religious people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in the in the discussion earlier, Stephanie, you talked, you started off with kind of talking about how there's a lot of denial when people mm-hmm. are facing end of life. There's a lot of, uh, it, it's like a taboo subject. People don't want to talk about it. It makes them feel bad. They don't want to think about it. It brings up all kinds of awkward stuff. And it's incredibly complex. What's your sort of background that may, gives you so much interest in this? And what is it that you bring to it?
0: So I grew up as the daughter of a geriatric nurse. And I think we were, Hailey and I were at a hospice breakfast a couple weeks ago. And I think it was the elephant on the, the horse the horse on the dining-room table, and the horse representing death, and how nobody wanted to talk about it. now, I grew up in a household where my father was older, but he was the youngest of his family, and my mom was an only child who had older parents, so there were a lot of my relatives who were older between that and the fact that my mom was a geriatric nurse we talked about the horse all all the time okay now growing up in the family that we did in new england it was you talked about it and then you shut those feelings away (laughs) (laughs) and you didn't ever talk about them again but we had a very practical view of death when it came to death you know you there are some people who are very touchy feely about the subject and so when somebody dies they they go through a different grieving process than i did you know i I have to get through it because there are other people I need to take care of. Uh, I, I just there's there's room for both of them. There's room for both of those viewpoints. and for me, it was very important to address the practical side. I saw a lot of people falling apart when their wives died, their husbands died, parents, children. and they shut that part of them away and I don't that's it's not a healthy. It's not a healthy state of being, so I've always had an interest in trying to bring forth a better way of dealing with it that wasn't spiritual.
1: Okay, great. Highly. Uh, anything you would like to add to that? The, the idea of what what is it that motivates you to be active in this? Well, yeah, you know, in, in bringing this as a as a concept for people to think about, focus on.
2: Um, when I was 50, I finally figured out what I wanted to do, be when I grew up. And so I decided to go back to grad school. And, um, I've always thought that I wanted to be a counselor or a therapist. And, um, I, I started out wanting to counsel women my age who were kind of going through life transitions. Um, you know, death, divorce, um, you know, your kids growing up and moving out. And then the more I started to get into it, the more I realized that women my age were simultaneously raising children and, Taking care of parent, aging parents who are dying, okay. and so I, that, I just that's kind of the avenue that I got to. It was um, being really interested in in that dynamic of, you know, being the sandwich generation, and, you know, cause most of us waited if we had kids at all waited until really late in life to have kids. And so now we've got kids that are 16, 17, and we've got parents in their eighties. So we're kind of in this strange situation of having to simultaneously raise kids and, and care for dying parents. And so that's what got me interested into it. And then somebody suggested, uh, that I start volunteering at hospice, um, as a way to kind of be around death and dying more. And, um, yeah, you know, so that's that's what kind of got me into wanting to be a grief counselor. So now graduating next year finally <laughs> and um <laughs> with my masters in counseling and um I'm going to specialize in grief loss and life transitions.
1: Okay. Now, Stephanie, you have an interesting background too because you you describe yourself as death midwife, which <laughs> is a new concept for me. And also a humanist celebrant, which is not a new concept for me. We actually did—I don't know if you know—Jen and Tim Bailey, mm-hmm. but they—they're friends of the podcast. They were—they right. were back uh, like about ten episodes yep. ago. Okay. So, that, I'm interested to hear a, about a death midwifery. Is that the term?
0: <laughs> death midwifery—I think <laughs> what they'll call it. So when I started being a human celebrant, I realized then that I really enjoyed doing the memorial services. I liked helping people get to that point where they could process the death. Then I read about being a death midwife. There was a course that I went through. Um, It's through a pagan church earth traditions. And it, to me, after my parents died, there seemed to be nobody that could tell me what to do. And it it was that point where somebody dies, and you have to start taking care of the bills, and figuring out the household accounts, and how who to contact, who does the taxes... Who's the lawyer? How do you get something through probate? So for me, the death, the death midwife course that I took was, it was along the lines of a hospice, except you also had these other elements that you could help with. And that's why they say it's the it's the helping hands in the heart. Hospice will deal with medical. I think that's a correct term mm-hmm. for that. Um, they'll deal with medical, but will also help the family. And it, it might be as simple as where do you... Who do you talk to? Do you have a lawyer? Here's how to find one to start writing up your will. Who is your Who is the person responsible for your durable power of attorney? What about your advance directive? Have you thought about these things? Have you thought about what you want to do for a funeral? And let me go do the dishes. <laughs> and, and that's it. My I mean, sometimes nice. you just need that when you're in the situation. Just please just go clean. Go do the dishes and maybe vacuum. Mm-hmm. And
2: that's what we do. Cool. Now on the hospice side, it's more, um, uh, you know, taking care of the medical needs, um, and being the calm presence in the room. Because when, um, when people start to die, it's really scary for the family because, you know, it doesn't, it's not pretty. <laughs> and, um, there's a lot of things that go on and, and people get panicked and they call an ambulance. And so, uh, a hospice's job is to just to kind of be there and be the calm presence in the room and say, this is all really normal. He's not in pain. And, um, they also have social workers that fill a little bit of that role, but not near to the extent that people need. Okay. So I think that's where the, the yeah. dead, uh, death midwives kind of fill in a need that the families have.
0: Um, and we after. can also, we can do that same part. Mm-hmm. I, interestingly enough, one of the lessons that we had was how to prepare the body. So after they died, a lot of people are starting to have the home funerals. I have been taught how to wash the body, how to dress the body. Knowing how much dry ice you need if you want to have the home funeral. (laughs) Okay, good. It makes it interesting at parties when I start talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) So there have been a number of folks in my life who have had deaths in the close family recently. And something that I've always had maybe a little bit of anxiety about is knowing the right way to talk with those folks about it. Because I know that... um, not talking with people about death in the right way can be a source of pain for them. Do you have any tips with regards to that? Is there a right way to talk about death?
2: I think the only right way is just to dive in and um, bring it up. And um, the, the thing that's uh, where it gets sticky is when people don't want to talk about it. Um, You can't really force it. If, if you, Position it in the right way. I think that it's helpful just to say, this is going to help me um, and make it, you know, the same thing with all communication. If you l- use a lot of I statements and say, you know, I would really like to do you justice, you know, if it ever came to the point where I have to care for you when you can't speak for yourself. So it would really mean a lot to me if you could give me some direction on how you would like that to go. Um, so, you know, the same the same thing that applies to having all difficult conversations. If you just kind of make it about you and invite somebody to help you, then that generally works out better, I think, than just saying, okay, you know, here's the will. (laughs) (laughs) What do I I get?
0: I think that's where death cafe comes in also, because we're trying to, we're trying to help normalize the conversation to make it less scary for others. And throughout death cafe, you'll notice that we don't, We'll approach any subject and we'll figure out a way to talk about it and also maybe read the signs of if people are feeling comfortable or not. Mm-hmm. So, a couple of Christmases ago, I sat down with my family and it was, I think, after sitting through one of the end of life talks that you provided and had the five wishes form and found some other stuff from the state of Texas, which is where most of my family mm-hmm. lives, to talk through the process. Are there tools that you recommend? people use when talking about end-of-life options?
2: Yeah, there's a, a really good website that has a conversation starter kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some copies over there. I handed them out today at the uh, thing, but that I think that's a really good one because a lot of times you don't know what you don't know when you don't know it. So it, it suggests things to ask and things to talk about that uh, you might not have even thought about because, you know, when we're all you know, in our thirties and forties, we don't really know, you know, what things we're going to be up against. And so that's part of the educational piece that Stephanie and I are so passionate about is, is saying, these are the kind of things that are going to come up and this is what you're going to need. But those kits, that conversation starter kit that's online is, is amazing because it, it, it tells you like point by point what you're going to need to know and what things might come up. And that kind of, it's really nice because it gives you a, a roadmap sort of for that conversation.
0: It lays out the steps.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Great.
0: And good for you for having done that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> One thing I thought that was really fun is you guys call yourselves the death duo, because you're definitely a team, mm-hmm. and uh, the way it struck me is highly you're very much the heart, and Stephanie, you're the brain. I um, like that. <laughs>
0: I think that's the I first time him.
1: I've been called the brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, because... It's so complex and it's so weighty and emotional. Like when someone's dying, they're going through something they've never been through before. Mm-hmm. Their family's experiencing this whole shift, this whole shakeup. Sometimes it's abrupt. It's a fast death. Sometimes it's a lingering death. And so there's just so many complex components that you have to weigh. And part of those, you know, there's the emotional side of feelings of grief, feelings of fear. You know, anticipation of that potential afterlife or consequences or whatever. And then there's, uh, the, the more technical or logistical side of how do you pay for it? What are the right forms to fill out? Mm-hmm. Like, how, you know, how do you do the steps? So I was wondering if you could kind of address that. Like, what do you each bring to it? And, and how do you help people through, you know, education on this, these two sides of the same coin?
2: That's why I think we're such a, uh, we compliment each other so well on this is because we do each have different passions. So my passion is helping people, um, you know, navigate that because people avoid people who are dying and people avoid people who are grieving, not because they don't care, but because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing and they're afraid of making a mess of it. And they're afraid of making things worse. So part of my educational piece is, is just to tell people, you know, don't isolate people who are grieving and people who are dying because that's like the time when they need you the most. And so what I like to do is, is kind of empower people to reach out, you know, to people who are suffering and, and offer, you know, specific forms of help and and kind of giving them a few just like things you can say, even saying, I don't know what to say to you. Um, you know, I just feel so bad that you're going through this. And, you know, tell me how I can help you. You know, would you want to talk about it? Do you not want to talk about it? You know, do you want to talk about Donald Trump? or Do you want to talk about your cancer? I mean, what do you want to do? And um, so just kind of helping people not Uh, have that awkwardness be a barrier, um, at the end, because that's where all the regrets come. You know, it's what you didn't do. You know, you never, um, and I always say, even if you go in and you bumble it up and you say the wrong thing, all you have to do is say, man, I'm sorry, I just don't know what to say. (laughs) You know, and people are just appreciate you showing up. I mean, you don't really have to worry about saying the wrong things. So that's, that's kind of the, where I'm coming from on it. And, I think that Stephanie and I kind of embody the two different ways of grieving because there's instrumental grievers and then there's emotional grievers, and um, Stephanie and I are probably both instrumental grievers in I that so. in you, that way.
1: Can you define that, please? Yeah,
2: so um, uh, instrumental grievers are the ones that just have to go into get or done mode. Okay, it's the people that like when something's a. a tragedy is happening or it's just like okay you know well how, how, how's this going to happen and where is it going to happen and and what how can we march playing. yeah it's, it's getting i start making lists together. yeah like when something bad happens in my life I, I get out a pen and paper i start making lists because that's and a, a lot of people think that oh you're grieving wrong because <laughs> that's not how you're supposed Good to method. grieve but a lot of men are instrumental grievers and so a lot of men get a lot of flack for not grieving right you know oh you're supposed to be crying you know you're supposed to be doing this and. Especially like a man and a woman who've lost the same person, like if a child dies, um, then the husband and wife don't often don't make it. And it's because they have such different ways of grieving. But there's plenty of women who are instrumental grievers and there's plenty of men who are emotional grievers. So it's just kind of more of a personal. You know, point set. Okay. So I think that when Stephanie and I do our death duo thing, (laughs) um, we kind of address both sides of it too. We address like, okay, well, how do I deal with this emotionally on the emotional side? And. You know, how do I, I <laughs> yeah.
0: how, do, how do I get her done? How do I get her done? When one of my parents died, I was caught completely off guard. I didn't know the first thing to do. And as, you know, as I said during the presentation today, there were certain things that I didn't know that I should have done, like getting the house insurance changed because my father was no longer living in the house. And I couldn't find any book. There was no book, there was no website that gave me step-by-step <laughs> instructions. I mean, everybody, you, you, you see all the self-help books and those are useful, but not at the time that you're going through this. Okay. And, you know, being an instrumental person, you know, instrumental griever, I believe you mm-hmm. called it. Yeah. So when we got to the nitty-gritty of it, I was the one that stepped up and I organized things and I helped and then I found out later that people at after the wake kept saying that I was cold uh. because I was so concentrated on getting it done and it's it's okay to be both mm-hmm. and I that's one of the things that we try to impart when we talk to people is it's okay to be both types of grievers But you do have to get it done. And I'm trying to put together a list so people can look at the list and say, okay, this is what I need to do on day one, day two, day three, and just get through it. Okay.
1: Great. One of the things that you brought up as being very important is doing things ahead of time and not Mm -hmm. waiting until it's too late. So this could mean having a conversation with your loved ones, such as I'm an organ donor and everybody needs to know I'm an organ donor or, uh, you know, I do, I want... Do not resuscitate like Mm -hmm. I do not want that or you know that that's all part of getting that ball rolling so Can you give any advice on like why it's so important to do that early?
0: You need to do it early because if you don't then it will be too late and I know that sounds very strange trite (laughs) Um, but if you have specific wishes like I know that I don't want to live on a vent I don't wanna have a feeding tube. I don't want to have that done for me. That's not an existence for me. If I get into a car accident and I'm in the hospital, I need people to know that if there is absolutely no hope, do not hook me up. And if you don't have this information set aside ahead of time, then they might go through all of the measures to save your life and you will end up in a nursing home. On a feeding tube and a vent. When my mother had her strokes, it got to the point where they told us, "There's no brain activity. None of this other stuff is working. What do you want to do?" Mom being a geriatric nurse, I mean, I knew that she would end up in my dreams yelling at me <laughs> if I let her do that. If okay. I if I resigned. If I made her live in a nursing home. So I just, you need to do it before you don't have the capacity to do it yourself. Okay. And you need to talk to people to let them know what you want. What are your wishes? Do you want limited? Do do you want limited measures? Do you want comfort measures only? Or do you want me to go all out and do everything I can to save you?
1: Well, one thing I appreciated about the presentation you did earlier was how you did sort of lay it out. These are the six forms you need. You need a will. You need a living will. You need... My HIPAA form. Yeah, your HIPAA form. You need Mm -hmm. your power of attorney forms. That's really interesting because, like you said, there isn't a book. There isn't Mm -hmm. a card you get issued and just do the steps. (laughs) So I think that's really great that you've compiled this stuff and that you present it in this way. Now, the presentation you did was kind of like you guys up front with a slideshow. Death Cafe is a little different. It's Mm -hmm. more intimate it's we all sit in a circle <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's instead of you guys speaking sort of from a position of authority to the audience we're all equals and we're all sharing mm-hmm. uh, and it's very different dynamic um, it's like I said it's more intimate and you feel you could just any any stray thought that comes through your head, it's part of the com- If it's part of the conversation, mm-hmm. you, you pipe up.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's what Death Cafe is about. Yeah, you know, it's it's a place where you get to talk about it. We're not we're not really imparting any knowledge to you in that point. It's you if you have feelings or you have an idea, throw it out mm-hmm. because you might find out that you're not the only one. There are other people who have that same feeling. And they think that they're strange. Okay. Now we bring it out in Death Cafe and it's, oh, I'm not strange. <laughs> this is something
1: normal. Great. Yeah. And you guys have been hosting this for approximately a year. Is mm-hmm. that correct? About a year now. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. That's how our, our end of life presentation stemmed out of Death Cafe is because we wanted to keep Death Cafe a discussion group. Okay. And um, we kept getting a lot of questions about mm-hmm. logistics and well, what do you say to people who are dying and uh, <laughs> you know what kind of forms do you need? And so we thought, you know, so that we can keep Death Cafe kind of in the spirit in which it's intended as a informal just discussion group and not Stephanie and I, you know, imparting... <laughs> No, you and know, touching, knowledge like on on people. On yeah, pedestal. so we we offered to put together a presentation as, so that we could kind of take that out of the death cafe mm-hmm. and um, keep the death cafe kind of more, you know. It's funny the, the way the, the things it takes, the directions it takes sometimes. I mean, yeah. one time we ended up speaking almost exclusively about sex and I don't know <laughs> how that happened. And it just depends on who's there and, and what, what kind of stuff comes up. But yeah, it's, and, and I love those tangents and I love hearing, you know, what people say. And when it gets too bogged down into, well, the nuts and bolts and logistics, yeah. then it's not as fun. Okay. And so that's why we took the, you know, we always say, well, we present on that. And and if you'd like to talk about those issues, you know we can come I back think and do we had it.
0: gotten more questions about that. Mm-hmm. We, the, the questions that we got in Death Cafe started to be more of the logistics and more what we need to do. And that kind of, we, it was one of those, oh, maybe we should
1: do another presentation. Mm-hmm. There's a different kind of need here. It's a yeah. different need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about what do you think people take away from having, because I've attended a couple. I think it's mm-hmm. two that I've attended, mm-hmm. including this one. I mean, have you seen it affect people? Like, have you seen, like, do people overcome their resistance to talk about death? Is it, is it difficult to get people going sometimes or?
0: I want to say yes, because we've had, we've had people come back and, you know, at first they were very shy and reserved and sat back and listened, but then the more that they, got involved. I mean, they they talk more, Mm -hmm. they're more free. They're more free with their words. They're more free with their feelings. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I can think of a couple of people in general right. that come to almost all of them and they didn't say much at the beginning and now they're much more comfortable <laughs> yeah um, and also people have come back and, and given us some really good feedback um, um, one of the people that comes pretty regularly she wasn't here today um, she had uh, had a neighbor who was dying of cancer and she said that when she sees her she'll like sit in the car <laughs> and wait till she goes inside so because she was afraid of what to say to her wow. and just... she said that after coming to our death cafes then she it, she had just kind of empowered her to you know say how are you today and you know okay. tell me about how you're how you're doing and how's the treatment going and she said it was just and they had ended up having a lovely connection and um, that they wouldn't have had wow that's really Yeah that, so it's really, really cool. nice to hear yeah. things like that you know okay. that that's it makes I look... think
0: it's always surprising it to me it's surprising because we'll get people giving us feedback and I think the first couple times we did this it was I didn't expect people to laugh like they <laughs> oh, did we laugh a lot yeah, yeah we okay. laugh a lot and i it, people <laughs> think of death and they think it has to be very sad. It's mm-hmm. Very somber, very sad, yeah. and you have to be serious. And yeah. we get to Death Cafe, and we, we've really had it a couple f- times where we just laugh the whole time. right?
2: And I always tell people, people say, oh, well, I just lost my sister two two months ago. You know, should I come to Death Cafe? And I'm like, yeah, it's probably not the place for, act-. you know, if you're actively grieving. Yeah, I said, it's not grief work. It's not a grief group. I said, this is like where we just, you know, like riff on you know different ways of thinking about mortality and death and, right, and have,
1: having conversations to normalize it as something mm-hmm. that you people can just talk about mm-hmm. it any the time exactly
2: but i said you know you, you could get um, you know, it could upset you if you were actively grieving to hear people kind of be funny and irreverent <laughs> about death and, and grief and so I always tell people in fact one of the guys that was here tonight um, he lost his brother a year and a half ago and he had called me um, pretty much right after it happened and said hey I noticed that you're having this death cafe what is it? Um, it you know I'm really having a hard time dealing with my brother's death and I said then don't come and yeah. I said this isn't the, the, the I said if you I said I'm studying to be a grief counselor I'm not one yet but if you need to talk then you can call me and i said but i wouldn't go. <laughs> death cafe is not that
0: <laughs> yeah so cool well it's not mm-hmm. a, it's not supposed to be a counseling session mm-hmm. yeah. or a grief group a grief yeah. group and that's and that's what they say if you go to their website is death cafe it's not a grief group it's not counseling it's just a place to talk about it
2: mm-hmm and so we really try to keep it to that, you know, and Good. and when it gets off on tangents, we try to <laughs> redirect. <laughs> okay. But sometimes that's After difficult. A little while. Yeah,
1: you, yeah. You go down the yeah. tangents for a little while. Yeah, right?
2: you, yeah, you want to hear what people have to say, and sometimes you know people have a roundabout way of getting to a really cool point. So, um, you know, we, we like try to let it play out a little bit so that you get to the point of what they're saying, and then we'd have to try to redirect them yeah. back to the the spirit of Death Cafe. Okay. Reel them in. Yeah, cool. we had a big assist from.
1: Yes.
2: The other, the other Jay. <laughs> yeah, he, he, I thought he did a beautiful
1: job. But, that was wonderful. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we won't go into that right now. Um, uh, Stephanie, in your presentation, you said one of the most interesting things that you like to deal with is what do you actually do with, with the your remains? Body. Yeah. What do you do with that? So it's I, just laying around, clogging it's... the place up. <laughs> You got to do something with like after the person is well, gone. It,
0: I think it's important to give the options to people because most of the time we just think about cremation or burial. And there's so many more things that you can do. And even traditional cremation, or if you want to do the water-based creation, the aqua, it's, you can, you don't have to just sit in a container on the hearth or on the mantle so everybody can watch you you know aunt helen doesn't have to stay there aunt helen can become part of the coral reef you know she can become a jewel that you set into a necklace you can i think i think i read someplace that luke perry actually was put in one of the mushroom suits I think if you've seen those on Facebook. I don't
1: know what that mm-hmm. is.
0: It's it's a decomposition. They it's, <laughs> they, they talk about it. Um, actually, I didn't talk about it today. In Washington State, they've approved the composting. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's there's so many different ways that you can that you can be part of a different way of dying, a different way to use your remains. If you want to be compost, if you want to be planted in the garden, you can actually do that on private property. If you want to be part of a medical study, if you don't care where your body goes, then here's a place that you can call and they'll part out your body. And as morbid Make as a that chop, sounds, chop. It's, <laughs> a, it's a chop shop. And as morbid mm-hmm. as that sounds, it's just something that I've always felt you need to think about. Okay. Cool. And it's just a fun subject, so especially when I start talking about body farms, and I know it's weird, but it's okay.
2: Yeah, I have a classmate who's a tattoo artist, and he said that a new thing is people are getting their ashes mixed into ink and yeah. getting tattoos mm-hmm. um, that have their loved ones' ashes mixed into the ink. Well,
1: there's, there's a Chong movie where Chong wanted to be smoked by. Oh served. right,
2: yep. that's right. I remember that.
1: <laughs> just gotta use your imagination. You can do anything. Feeding the trees. <laughs> cool. Well, I think I just googled Luke Perry
0: mushroom and yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Luke Perry. Mushroom. It's a,
0: it's a mushroom suit, I think. Yeah, it's from c o e i o
1: dot com. C o e i o. Yeah. I'm gonna write that We're down right real quick. I, it sounds really cool. E i o I'll I can also Google the mushroom thing. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, and there's also the pe- people talk about being planted as a tree. You can. It's
1: the pod. It. Oh okay. In your body's like the compost. The though. compost. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. Um. There's so much interesting stuff that you went over in your. Discussion and and that we had as a group. I wasn't. I was taking notes kind of when you were having the presentation, and but I didn't want to be taking notes during the more (laughs) intimate (laughs) discussion. Yeah, and that's. uh, There are so many things that I could go into because it is such a complex topic, and you guys did such a good job communicating it. And I really enjoyed how you, you you brought some levity to it. It's not such a serious thing, especially. You're a big part of that you guys emphasized was prepare, like Mm -hmm. have the conversations early. Make sure, you know, don't wait too long to go into hospice when it's the right time. You'll know and you you Mm -hmm. can go and make those decisions. So we'll just wrap up with this. As far as death cafe, can you tell me about the cake?
2: If, well, if you go on the website <laughs> it's it's a national thing um so it's if you go on the website yeah international it started in england so if you go on the website it says hey, this is where people gather together Drink tea and eat cake, and so uh, Stephanie, when she she was the one that found it and brought it up to me, and she said, "Hey, I thought of this death do thing we could do together," and um, <laughs> and she said, "But we have to have cake," and I'm like, "I'm in, <laughs> I'm in." <laughs> <laughs> so we used to have this baker uh, mm-hmm. that Stephanie found, and she was um, she had been diagnosed with a, a what she thought was a terminal illness when she was pretty young, and she was a cake decorator, a really young gal in her twenties, and she was all over Death Cafe. Okay. and now, i had gone to a
0: couple grocery stores <laughs> before this and it was I walked in and I said, okay, I'm doing, I I need a cake for Death Cafe. And you get some weird looks. You get some really (laughs) weird looks. But I happened to walk into this one bakery that this woman was at. And I said, you know, we're doing this weird thing. It's called Death Cafe and we have to eat cake. And her eyes lit up (laughs) and she went,
1: really? You found the right one.
0: I need to know more. And then... We just started talking about it, and she came up with some of the most creative cakes that we've had. She had had. some beautiful
2: cakes. Yeah, she moved, so we don't have her anymore. Uh, But yeah, her decorating was good, but the cake baking not so much. So so now at least we have tasty cakes, even if they're not as pretty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But. Yeah, you
2: have to have cake. Yeah. that was one Or of even the if you we... don't have to, we decided that we had. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think any, any conversation is going to be better if there's cake.
2: Well, yes. Absolutely. And ever. then it was,
0: I think, the first time we did this, it was like, do we serve the cake ahead of time? Do we have it at the end? It was like, no,
2: serve it ahead. Yeah. We all like, want cake. Well, all... We don't want the cake over there. It's like the horse in the middle of the table we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we need the cake in the middle of the table. <laughs> exactly.
1: Cool. Uh, before we wrap it up, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to bring up
2: um our next death cafe is on uh, july 13th and the more the merrier um we've all we've always been able to stick to one table so far but if uh if we had a lot of people we could split it up into two um so come on down
0: okay. come to death cafe we serve cake
2: <laughs> good cake
1: all right well then on that i'll say Chauncey. And Stephanie and Hailey, thank you so much for having this um, conversation with me here. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for asking us. All right. Cut.